All right, so we have two RPA specialists with us today, um, coming from very different perspectives, which I'm very excited about. Um, and I guess just to kick off, why don't you guys talk a little bit about you know the world you come from, you know, from an implementation perspective of kind of the big boys, and then Sagi obviously coming from the the startup who's going to attack them all. Um, but do you want to start? Just why don't you talk a little bit about kind of what you do at V2 and how you kind of see the world of I'll call it big boy RPA these days. That's right. Uh, we have been into the RPA space since uh, last two and a half years almost with obviously the big players. Um, Which makes you a deep veteran <laughs> given, the, given the age of the space, right? Uh, you were there first. Uh, <laughs> yes and no, to some extent. Uh, we work with, uh, majorly with UiPath uh, followed by automation anywhere. So obviously one of these two vendors. Only thing, uh, only vendor, the, uh, only platform that uh, we don't work on as of now is probably the Blue Prism, yep. which is to, uh, the, in the top quadrant. Um, yes, uh, the space is buzzing at this point of time. We have been uh, implementing for many of our clients with, uh, on different domains. Um, uh, and uh, it's a tough time for us as implementation partners just because uh, the platforms are growing so rapid at a pace that they're making religious every three weeks at times, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the backward compatibility and other things are bring, posing us a challenge, but that's the hype cycle is all about at this point of time. Got it. Very cool. Zach, you want to talk about your version? Yeah, uh, maybe a little bit of, of interest. So, yeah, um, the product is Tonkin, and it's actually a robotic automation platform, but for human-in-the-loop processes. So basically um, looking at um, providing tools for operation people to not only automate tasks, but also coordinate people. So in a way, talking about those jobs to be done, but how also they're aligned with the need for people to still be in the center of a, of a, of a workflow, and, um, and basically creating this sort of operation system for operation teams. Um, and I think what we're excited about, what we've been seeing in the last um, four years, is how automation in general became more and more and more common, and now those big players, RPA, actually opened the door into what happens when you enable companies to automate things that just weren't possible before, mm -hmm. right? And I think, um, I think this entire conference, right, the combination of human with, with uh, machines is what happens when you're actually able to align those type of processes that are very human-centric today, but where you can do more with the, with the tools that you have, so. Fair enough. And so when, when you go out and you're doing a big, you know, Roll out of you know you you name it like UiPath mm -hmm. um, to to a big cl client, and you go through the process discovery phase. You figure out what things kind of are the biggest opportunities to to deploy RPA in, and you go in and actually do it. Mm -hmm. What are kind of some of the most? I, I mean, maybe nothing surprising anymore, but like, what are some of those kind of surprise moments that you've hit? where the difference between kind of the study you've done up front, right, to decide where to put it, and then the actual implementation where there's a gap. Okay, uh, that's a very interesting question. Like, um, uh, the biggest thing that we hear, uh, that's not a gap exactly, I would say, is that every time we study a process and we identify a couple of those and uh, get into the exact execution of it, uh, the business comes up saying, the platform says the business user is the guy who can do this. So why do we need developers for it? Like, so we keep telling them it's actually 
the, the business users can do it, but they can do it to some extent. After yeah. a certain extent, they cannot really move on. Yeah. You need that coding experience around the development. And uh, the, the, the biggest discovery that we do at that point of time is that um, it's not the actual automation development that takes a lot of time. Mm -hmm. It's actually discovering the process. What yeah. has to be done, that really takes a lot of time. And in between the development, there are so many blockages just because people don't treat the robot as, a, um, as an employee. Because robot would need uh, one access. Robot needed its own infrastructure around it, right? All of a sudden, the robot stops working just because someone changed the access after a month's time because the human has to change the password. Mm -hmm. Robot cannot. It stopped, <laughs> right? <laughs> so those are the very interesting discoveries that we do, uh, you know, that we educate uh, our customers from the very beginning to get started with, you know, sensitize them. Then you don't just you have to treat the robot as your own employee. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, what about working bottoms up, you know, with the kind of the people you work with? Like, what are some of the biggest surprises from, like, the theory to the practice of deploying some of these systems? I think what we've seen um, multiple times is people have um, started to build those agendas and strategies around automating more and getting more efficiency, right? But when you actually look in the practice of, of what they currently have, they actually don't have sometimes the basic fundamentals to do any work in a di digital way. And so in a way where you actually need to be able to bring automation, get the best out of it, is actually something we call the sort of last mile of operation. So we have that big you know, equivalent of a train, and then you have that last mile, and that's where you can get the most efficiency. And you know, the last mile, they talk about Zendesk versus not Zendesk and all that stuff. And I think that's where it's interesting is that um, when someone actually have that agenda to automate, to bring robotic and, and, and to gain efficiency, uh, there's a lot of, the big, very, very first step is trying to build and define the process in a way that is op more optimized for people and machine, and not only, you know, or what are the tools that we have, and how do we just sort of work with that, that yeah. sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, one, one analogy I always like to think about is you think about the history of technology business, right? And before we had the pure tech industry, we had what we called the IT industry, right? Mm -hmm. Which was effectively technology plus services because no one knew how to use technology, mm -hmm. right? And then technology got developed enough, people understood it enough, you moved into a pure tech phase. Mm -hmm. My analogy has always been that where we are with, IPA, uh, with RPA is like back in an IT phase, right? <laughs> um, because you need so much consultings and system integrations and all this type of stuff going on. I, I mean, one, do you guys agree with that categorization and then two, what is the path forward? Like, how do you move beyond that? Um, the truth is that um, with RPA, we are actually getting away, getting away from the integration, the deeper integration. That's the reason why the RPA is, right? Um, though it's, I would, I would be honest enough to state that probably the bots might not be an extremely stable solution over the very, very long period of time, but they're bridge solutions, mm -hmm. right? So they're quick, and they are fixed, right? It's like a quick fix that you can have, and things will be getting working at least for you. Now, what I believe is that um, um, the adaption is mostly for those industries, uh, those domains, where building something uh, with on, the, on the legacy systems or the systems that are in existence is extremely expensive, but the data must flow between these systems. Right. That's one of the greatest things that we're seeing. But with the incoming of the intelligence on, with the robots, things are changing a lot. One of the classic cases, uh, I believe, which is making a transformation is all about um, uh, the 
paper data transformation to mm -hmm. digital data, yep. where, in fact, every platform is trying hard. I'm sure you guys must be also doing that, uh, trying hard to get the paper data into the digital data format uh, in the simplest way. You throw any documents, the robot identifies what the document is, brings out the key pair values, and uploads into your We system. already talked about faxing today, so the next logical thing to talk about is digitizing paper, yeah. which is 2019. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's all. Like I believe, um, with the intelligence coming in more into the robots, um, uh, the robots will remain as an operational uh, workers, whereas the intelligence will drive their uh, that emotional value what the human is doing at this point of time yeah. to some extent. Yeah, I think um, I think a big part of you know going back to like it, we go, we went back to that IT stage of things. I think there's a, there's a good trend that's happening in the last few years um, where there are roles within the organization that are now sort of owning that efficiency sort of flag. And so, you know, operation teams in general, it was like DevOps and sales ops, you know, been there for a while, but now there's like customer ops and legal ops and finance ops and people ops. And, you know, every department understands that efficiency is an important step. So for example, one of the early decisions we, we made was we want a no-code type of robotic uh, automation because what we actually want is to allow those operation business users to be able to build those sort of robots to take on workflows to work with people and with the different data. So I think going forward, I think where we'll see that shift from sort of an, an IT type of world into a more end user, uh, is, is those type of drivers, those type of roles within the organizations that sort of own the uh, making things better with automation and robotics um, and thinking about it in, in, in sort of a strategic way. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think uh, it's interesting because, and again, correct me if I'm wrong here, but there's one version of RPA, which is a very top-down version, I would almost say, where it says, hey, this is a new tool that allows us to force structure where right now there is a loose process, right? Where you say, okay, like there's a 50-step process in steps there, here, and here. We currently have all this variation. We can make it into an RPA solution, slot it in, and guarantee ins and outs. You're shaking your head, which is good. Mm -hmm. And then the other version is kind of this like, hey, it's almost like the, the, the mini-bot version, right? Which says, hey, we don't even know everything that's going on, team. Like there's no top-down view, but each person in each team can kind of can augment their own workflow individually, mm -hmm. almost like super macros is almost mm -hmm. the way to think about mm -hmm. it. I mean, one, I'm curious where you think we are today in terms of how people think about RPA and then implement it in various ways. And then two, you know, talk a little bit about where you think we end up. Right. Um, so um, the very first thing business looks at whenever they're implementing RPA, the ROI, and when they look at the ROI, they initially look at the first initial set of processes they're deploying. Those are the macros that you're talking of, yep. right? Um, the ROI eventually doesn't make sense after a couple of processes being deployed. And uh, when they start taking the holistic view of the program of RPA, overall program of RPA, then that's the, that's the time when our ROI really makes sense. So in other words, the question that you asked to answer that very straight, um, the macro side of the RPA is not really going to help unless and until you have an end-to-end -end processes really deployed, which was, uh, which was actually being done by humans in the past point of time. Um, 
the macros or the small macros have been ex in existence already in the past, but they haven't done what exactly RPA is doing today's day yeah. at, at, this, at this point of time. So it's basically we look at something like um, 20 hours of uh, time saved as the minimum to actually invest in a process for automation. That's mm -hmm. the kind of or something like... 20 hours know, per what? Per month. Per month. Per month. Per user or just per month period? Per month. Okay. Right? It might be a four runs of a process, five runs of a process, but we look at at least 20 or 20 to 30 hours of time-saving human effort before actually a process can be robotized or invested into it, or else uh, it really doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Right? <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. No, I, I think you know. I think we've seen similar thing. If you're just trying to take like a super macro to take care of one task, you know, it's sort of for short on on what it actually the bigger impact on the business is. But when you think about it in a way that um, a, a, a work or a workflow um, is built out of multiple steps that needs to work across different teams and across different sort of business use cases, and you build for that, uh, that's when you actually start seeing huge, huge, huge savings. There's a lot of studies recently that literally knowledge workers spent, I don't know, it was like 2.8 or something hours a day on high-value work, and everything else is like low-value work, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so... Um, you can, you can try to solve it by the lot of these micro macros, but uh, at the end of the day, uh, if, you, if you think about that process from a high level and you design for it with what are the parts that people need to do and what are the parts that should be automated, but automate the entire flow, uh, that's where you actually gain huge, huge efficiencies. Fair enough. So when you think about like, the current world of... RPA technology, right, that people are excited about and deploying. You know, you think, my mind goes to, obviously, OCR, right, and kind of the, some of the, you know, some basic window manipulation, right, mm -hmm. is the way I would think about it. I think about, like, being able to open and close programs and insert values and things like that. And then, I guess, to some lesser extent, also, like, speech recognition and speech text, mm -hmm. but, like, which is, you know, maybe. But the question is, is, like, if you could ma wave a magic wand and add any fundamental capability right, to RPA solutions, what, what do you think would unlock the most value? Like, what do you think fundamentally would make it way better? Um, I believe there are two. First, uh, the one that you have already, you have been already speaking of it, like the OCR, the intelligent OCR. That's where uh, you uh, really bring in a lot of operational efficiency into the system when you throw documents at it and the robot does the thing. That's probably worldwide, uh, the, the many of the consultings that we have done in the past, it actually starts with uh, the document conversion. Mm -hmm. uh, they think RPA is the solution for document conversion, which is actually not, right? Uh, the, the robots make use of uh, third-party services for those document <laughs> conversions. <laughs> the robots yeah. just call a phone a friend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Uh, the second uh, thing that uh, we are seeing that would really great add value, great value around is that um, it's a combination of work between the robot and human, where robot stops in between for human to take over, to do certain things for them, and once they are done, and robot again takes over. For an example, the cases of high-value approvals, cash approvals or financial approvals, right? Robot takes the things from one, two, three, four, five, seven, eight process, stops there at number eight, waits for the human to take the, give the input rightly, and then carries on again from 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. So it's like, you know, robot and the human working in sync. That's 
I believe that's coming in probably next couple of months or in a quarter or so. It's already there. You guys <laughs> well, have already been there. <laughs> so yes, it's exactly the why it's like a little bit self-serve, but you just mentioned it. So, <laughs> but the, yeah, that's basically why we built um, Tonkin. It's basically seeing that exact thing is um, you just can't take the people out of the loop. You mm -hmm. know, they're they're a big part of it, and approval yeah. cycles are, are a big part of it. But there's a lot of mundane work that needs to be you know, delegated to, to robots. And I think uh, that's why we were, foc we were focusing directly on those human in the loop processes with the handoff. And I think, but taking, talking away from talking and more broadly on automation, I think um, where, what RPA started uh, to sort of, um, with this new flame of, hey, there's things we didn't think about in the, in the past we can automate. I think the future of it is to think broader than just task-based. And really, what are the all of those things? Uh, I think um, last panel they talked about customer centricity. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and like how, like taking notes in a meeting, and you know, like how do you combine all the different technologies, whether it's speech, where it's like OCR, where it's coordinating with people, whether it's um, uh, performing like repetitive tasks. Like how can you take the entire thing and think about it more of an orchestration thing that is automated versus just a single task? And so that's something we're pushing for, but I think that's where the entire sort of industry of automation will move from, again, this IT to like in everything. So when you look at the, the RPA market broadly, I mean, it is amazing. You have like UiPath, Automation Anywhere, Blue Prism, like a few of these guys who just went from nothing to being close to $10 billion companies like overnight, right? It's huge. I mean, it's incredible, right? And, UiPath, someone correct me, is like the fastest yeah. revenue growing yeah. company in the history of the world. That's right. right. Now, there's a lot of asterisks on that, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but still, an amazing reality. Um, you now have all these platforms, the Salesforces of the world, you know, Microsoft, et cetera. Everyone's kind of building up in their mm -hmm. own versions, Genesis, whatever, their own kind of platform version. And then you have startups, right, and other people coming in inbound. If you had to look forward a few years and say, this is what the automation landscape looks like. Everyone agrees that we're going to go from having CRMs to starting to figure out how to like, drop processes in and automate. Mm -hmm. you know, is this an open source set of frameworks that lots of people plug different pieces into? Mm -hmm. Is it you know, the same players now? right? Mm -hmm. Is it the platforms? Like, who's, who do you think is going to win this thing? Uh, it's, it's something that I probably can't predict at this point of time, but uh, what I can say is that uh, uh, probably in the next couple of years, um, there would be a lot of unification and standardizations around the robots. Now, probably there would be providers of robots uh, with the efficiency of robots. There would be providers of engines which can make robots work, <laughs> right? So he, at this point of time, there, there is no apple-to-apple -apple comparison between the providers, how the package thinks, right? Someone is only selling their robots. Someone is selling orchestrator robots plus the studio. Someone is saying, you know, it's all one. So there is no comparison. Like, so eventually, that's going to settle down. So I believe that, that there's already attempts being made, which is trying to make a, a robotic development language, a unified language. So they come out as a single language for all robots. And probably the providers, like these big players, they bring up their own robots, and you just plug the code, developed code, into those robots at mm -hmm. this point of time. But behind all this thing is, uh, is the contribution of the developer community that works uh, really uh, hard for it. Fair enough. I think it's a little bit depends on how do you think about automation or robotic in general. Like, personally, I think it's sort of, sort of next generation of software as a whole. You know, 
forever it was software is basically writing things into a database and reading things from a database and just a bunch of UIs. You know what the difference between a CRM and a and a bug system? It's the same thing. You know, it's just different UI components. In a way, robotic is just a, a new way to think about software in general. So instead of sort of people working for the software to fill information, it's a, it's a thing that works for people in a way. And so that, what that means to me is that there's just not going to be one solution. You know, there's just like there's not one software that rules everything, right? So software provider. Uh, maybe there will be yeah, there are big, three. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> maybe there are going to be winners <laughs> in certain areas. Um, but as a whole, I think. Uh, it's just going to be a shift in, in the way people think about software when they implement them or, or startup when they come up with new ways to, um, to fix problems. Fair enough. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much. I think this is an awesome conversation. Again, more conversation of RPA at Beers. I'm going to plug it every time. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks, Cheers. Sam.